Welcome back to Second Look. This is part two of a four-part series called Everyone Within My Reach, From Strangers to Neighbors to Family. We'll explore a few different aspects of living on mission in the neighborhoods where we live. On today's episode, Barton Kimbrough teaches on cultivating relationships and connecting with the people God puts in our path. Also today, Rong and Shang Zhu discuss how to be intentional about the connections we have with other people. Last week, we began a new series in case you missed it. We've been talking about it in the messenger and from the lectern and Sunday morning services for quite some time. But it's a new summer series, a combined series, which is why we're all in here, which we've entitled Everyone Within My Reach from Neighbor No, rather, from stranger to neighbor. We don't want from neighbor to stranger. That's the opposite of what we want to do. But it's from stranger to neighbor to family. Everyone within my reach, from stranger to neighbor to family. And as we saw last week, we adapted that from a Rosaria Butterfield book, which we mentioned last week, that uh, gospel comes with a house key. Is Jennifer Wilson in here right now? She told me to tell you all that they have that book in the library along with the other books I'll be mentioning today. So you can get them there or the bookstore. I'm sure they'll have them as well. But our subtitle is essentially our church's, it's a summary of our church's mission to see the kingdom of God advance through simply living out Jesus' command on our lives to, to love our neighbor. And that's really what we're talking about this month. It's nothing special. It's no new initiative And like we said last week, it's not even really about parishes or anything else. It's simply returning back and thinking about and and focusing on that ancient strategy, that ancient identity and calling which Jesus gives us as Christians. And we talked about that last week. As the local church, God has sovereignly placed us here at Second in Memphis. You know, we're not of this world, but he's sovereignly placed us here. And as the local church, we're an outpost of heaven where we live distinctly by grace through the Holy Spirit. And we don't do this with our own power. We're living and walking in step with the Holy Spirit. We're living by grace under the reign of King Jesus. Right? He, we, we, our ultimate loyalties to Him. He's our King. And we live under His reign by grace for the glory of God the Father, ultimately laboring to make Memphis, where we live, where He's sovereignly placed us, to make Memphis as it is in heaven. That's what we're about as a local church. We're laboring to make Memphis as it is in heaven. And that sounds really hard and complicated, all these things we do. And it is difficult, but it's actually pretty easy, the strategy. We're just called to be good neighbors, as we saw last week. And so that's what we're talking about these next couple of weeks. How do we live out this calling? Simply being good neighbors. So we talked about who is my neighbor last week and working through some of the challenges and the fears that we have. Uh, this Sunday, we're going to be talking about walking with our neighbor how to cultivate friendships with those that God has put in our path. How to cultivate friendships with those that God has put in our path. And for my money, I really think this is an important topic for us to just to consider because for one reason or another, I think we're living in an increasingly friendless age. Everybody has friends they've known forever and have grown old with. All of us do. Right? But just like we saw last week, the whole idea of actually being a good neighbor seems as if it's from a bygone era. No one's really concerned with being a good neighbor anymore. Similar to that, the act of creating new friendships, particularly with those who just think differently than us, that seems like a lost art. 
No one really does that anymore, and I think there's a variety of reasons. First, you know, obviously we live in a, a very divided culture where most people have adopted this us-against-them mentality with anyone who thinks differently than they do, and most people live that way today. In addition to that, there's this man named Ajith Fernando, another book that Jennifer Wilson wanted me to tell you about. Uh, Ajith Fernando wrote a book called Reclaiming Friendship. It's a study in Proverbs, but it's, very, it's a great resource for our topic this month. But in his book, he says that our culture is one of self-fulfillment, where most everybody approaches everything, including relationships, in a utilitarian way. So that is, if someone uh, is not going to spend the time or the resources or the commitment to develop new friendships, if that new friendship doesn't benefit that person. If If it's no value to him, then it's just, what's the point? And I think that's true. I think a lot of people in our culture think that way about friendships. If it's not going to benefit me, what's the point of doing that? Now, in addition to that, as Christians, we have our own hurdle. It seems that a lot of the non-believing world don't really care about being friends with us. Statistics, there's over 100 million non-believers in the United States of America. And one poll showed that 70% of those 100 million people have no interest for ever stepping inside of a church. And one scholar said that the main reason for that is that the majority of the non-believing world doesn't think the church genuinely cares about them. That we have an ulterior motive in reaching out to them, that we view them merely as evangelistic projects. I think we got our work cut out for us. And so as the church, in the interest of living out this legitimate command that Jesus Christ has on our life to actually love our neighbors, then I think we just have to get back to basics and see what the Bible says what it means to be an actual, genuine Christian friend to those whom God has put in our path. And Paul provides us that opportunity, looking in his first letter to Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. If you have your Bibles or your phone out, go ahead and flip there. As you are, a little bit of context. Um, Paul had only been ministering in Thessalonica for three weeks before the persecution got so bad that Paul and his ministry cohort had to leave Thessalonica. Three weeks. Now, it was when they left, and they left in the middle of the night, essentially. And when they left, Paul's opponents took advantage of this. And so they thought to themselves that this is a great opportunity for us to undermine Paul's ministry. And so what they did is they started a smear campaign. And they went around to other people, the contacts that Paul had made in those three weeks, the believers that were converted, the church, and so on and so forth. They went around town and saying, hey, listen, everything that Paul ever told you about Jesus, don't believe it. Because the guy's a charlatan. I mean, look, he left in the middle of the night. He doesn't, he doesn't care about you. All that befriending he did was all about his own interests, himself. All he cares about is himself. That's the type of things they were saying. Not all too unsimilar to what a lot of folks say about the church today. But as you get into this letter in chapter 2, this is when Paul gives his defense. And you would think he would give some great doctrine about why they should believe him as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not what he does. He gives them their test- his testimony. And he reminds them of the way that he just lived life and interacted with them for that month in Thessalonica. He pointed them to his genuine acts of friendship. John Stott says that this verse has lasting value for us because it gives us insight into Paul's heart 
and what it means to be a friend. And while we're not apostles, while most of us are not in vocational ministry, this is supposed to be a model for us as Christians as we seek to love our neighbors. Okay, so let's go ahead and read it together. Chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Paul says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain. But though that we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have, we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, that our labor and our toil, we work night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, of how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted you, each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to have one major point, one major takeaway, and a couple observations, then we're going to hand it over to Lauren and the Joes. The first major point that we see here from Paul in cultivating friendships is as Christians, we are commanded to give our lives away. That's just part and parcel of being a Christian. We are commanded to give our lives away to those within our reach. We see this actually in verse 8. Look back at verse 8. Paul writes, So being affectionately desirous of you. That first off blows my mind, right? Because of the time period of which Paul is referring to, I mean, he knew those people for about a month. About a month. That's it. I mean, he didn't know these folks from Adam. He, just, he goes to a town from which he was not from, meets a whole bunch of people, and then he writes, so being affectionately desirous of you, these strangers, he had that type of an affection for, desirous affection for you. Then he says, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives, because you had become very dear to us. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives. We were ready to pour those out. You see, Paul understood himself to be both a gospel messenger and a gospel neighbor, as we spoke about last week. And it's through the art of befriending that this town of strangers became acquaintances, eventually became friends, and then family in the family of God. And the key behind it all was that Paul gave his life away. You see, Paul understood that each of us were created for relationships. We talked about that, I think, last week. We need friends. And it's in those friendships that that God-given and God-created needs are met. And that's good. We all need friends. But Paul understood that for himself and the church, we are not called to get anything, but rather we are called to give And in this passage, he says, we're called to give our lives away to those around us. 
to be sure, you and I have nothing to do with creating friendships. I mean, we, we can't force people, even though I think we're all awesome, we can't force people to like us, right? We have nothing to do with the reciprocal nature that is just in a friendship. God does that, but we are commanded to be friendly to people. Just as Jesus was a friend to us, just as Paul was a friend to those in Thessalonica. And the key to friendship, according to Paul in verse 8, is that we give ourselves away. It reminds me of something that I read in a John Piper book. I'm not sure which one. But he says the Bible describes Christians as fountains. That's our identity. We're fountains. And he goes on to point to a couple of verses in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, whoever drinks of water that I give him. So that is, if you're in Christ, you've come to faith in Jesus, he's in you, you're in him, you're united in him by faith. Whoever drinks of the water that I give him, he says, will never be thirsty again. Then he goes on to say, it will become in him a spring of water, and out of his heart, the Christian, will flow rivers of living water. So here's this new convert, and out of his heart, as those who are in Christ, out of his heart flows rivers of living water. So just think about a river. For a river to be a river, it needs to flow forward if it's dammed up. It no longer blesses and brings life to the countryside around it. It becomes stale and stagnant, putrid water, right? For a, for a river to be happy, it's got to flow. And as it flows, it brings life and blessing and abundance to, to, the, to, the, to the scene around it. Jesus is saying that you and I are that way. We don't do a spring. We're, we don't do fountain stuff. We just, we just simply are as those who are in Christ, that we bring life and blessing to those around us where God has, has placed us. Now, the power behind that is our in Christness, right? As those who are in Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, the one who blesses us beyond measure with all the spiritual blessings in heaven that Paul refers to in Ephesians, right? So as those who actually believe that, that we are secured, blessed beyond measure in the Lord Jesus, who are constantly being filled in Jesus, we are enabled, freed, to love those around us without strings attached, without worrying if we're going to lose something because we are loving out of the ceaseless overflow of the perfect love that Jesus Christ has for us. And so we're able to give our lives away, secured in that relationship that Jesus has for us. It reminds me of a testimony of the testimony of Rosaria Butterfield. I also mentioned her last week in another one of her books. She wrote, um, I believe it's Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. If you've not read that, it's, it's a great book. But for several chapters, she gives her testimony. Long story short, she, for a long time, was an atheist, um, a professor of feministic studies at some liberal university, and she was in a committed lesbian relationship. Hated the church. That is, until she met an elderly couple named Ken and Floyd Smith, pastor and wife, who opened both their homes and their hearts to her. Up until that time of meeting that older couple, her only experiences with the church has been someone demonizing her or treating her like she's this project, but not, until, but not when she met that couple. They opened her heart and her home. They accepted her and received her. They didn't affirm her. I mean, she even said that, but they, she said they did receive me. They received me at their dinner table. They opened their homes. They mowed my grass when I had a big study week at school. They brought me lunch. They looked in after me. They cared for me. And she said it was because of their persistent 
acts of friendship, of opening their lives to her that led to her conversion two years later. And now we have all these cool books by her that are in our library. The point is, is that you and I are called to be like Ken and Floyd. We're called to be like Paul. We're called to be like Jesus, who, who gave his life to us when we were strangers. It doesn't mean that we need to be annoying. Right? Don't be Proverbs 25, 17, which in, my, in layman's terms says, don't annoy your neighbors because they're going to hate you. Okay? Don't do that. But it does mean that in an age of friendlessness, when people are starved for relationships, we're called to give our lives away, not just our words and our our beliefs, but also our hearts and our lives. All right, so that's what we see in verse 8. Now, in the surrounding verses, he gives us several different ways in which he personally did that. We're just going to focus on two and mention the other ones. First off, in verses 1 through 6, we see that Paul was a genuine person. He was a genuine guy. I mean, he, didn't, he wasn't ashamed of his identity in Jesus. He didn't try to dumb down the reality that he was both a gospel messenger and a gospel neighbor. Sometimes I'm tempted to do that. I think, I don't want to come on too strong to my neighbor. They're going to run from the hills. Right, so we try to, but that's, that's not what Paul did. In fact, he was bold. He says, in boldness, he, he reached out and shared the gospel. Right, in boldness, that word for boldness, speak openly, frankly, and with courage. It's not easy for most of us to, with courage, reach out to our neighbors especially for an introverted person like myself. I mean, that just sounds like a nightmare, right? And much more difficult even to, to share the gospel with people that you don't know that well. I mean, I doubt very seriously Paul just went to a complete stranger and said, hey, if you die tonight, where would you go? He didn't, he didn't do that. He, he developed these relationships and he shared the gospel in those relationships. So it made sense. But even still, that's difficult. That's, that's tough work. So where did Paul get the confidence to do that? It did not come from himself. We see it right in the text in verse 2. It came from being in God. He didn't think that he was this charming guy. I doubt that Paul was charming. He could have been. But that's not where he put his confidence. He he didn't think, man, I'm really witty at the dinner table. These people are going to love me. He didn't. That's not what Paul was like. He didn't put his stock in how, I don't know, extroverted or whatever makes people good with other people. I mean, that's not what he was banking on. He was banking on his in-godness in verse 2. And as someone who was in Christ, verse 4, he knew right, that he had his father's approval. I mean, just think about that for, for those of you who are parents. You, you love your children. They hung the moon for you. They're the apple of your eye. No matter if they do something wrong, you're still going to love them. Um, no matter what their day is like, they can come home and know that their parents think they're cool, that their parents love them and cherish them and desire for them. That's but a sliver of the approval that we can experience from God the Father as those who are in Christ. And Paul deeply believing that, that he is approved by the only one who really matters. Just layman, you know, down in the mud stuff, he was able to take off his cool jacket. It's like, I don't care what these people think of me. I mean, I know that God loves me, which means I can love them in a hazardous way. I can be risky in my relationships because I have everything that I need in Christ. It's tied up. I, I can love out of that. Similarly, he says that he never tried to, to win people's approval, which is, you know, just practically speaking, we've met folks who are constantly trying to win our approval. Maybe it's an employee or someone you work with, or I'm not sure. 
But someone who's constantly trying to win your approval, they come off as a little phony. It's like, do you really like me or did you say that because you're just trying to get it? I mean, you know, I like the false teachers that were around Paul in Thessalonica and other places. But Paul wasn't like that. He wasn't a phony. He wasn't constantly trying to angular himself uh, to come across in a certain way. He didn't put his best foot forward usually. And the reason he didn't do that is because if you're constantly trying to impress people, you're never going to be real with people. You're never going to be vulnerable with people. And you're never going to offer yourself in true friendship like Paul did. Paul was genuine. Another part of Rosaria's testimony, she said that even when she was a staunch unbeliever, she always respected um, Ken and his wife Floyd. Because if you read the story, they weren't you know, Bible thumpers. They weren't constantly beating over the head of, you know, this is the way you should live, Rosaria. They did share the gospel, but they weren't in her face about it. But she said, nor do they ever move the cheese. They were just living out their faith. They were genuine. They didn't, I mean, she said it would have been weird, had, you know, having known them for several months and all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're a Christian? I didn't know that. That would have been strange for her. They would have been ungenuine in that way, but they made their life, they loved her boldly, both in word and in deed. And she said she respected them because of that, which I thought that was very interesting. So Paul was genuine. He was also gentle. We see this in verse 7. There are a lot of folks out there in the church who think that being bold for Christ gives them the license to be mean to people. I mean, it's just sad, really. But I got to be bold for Christ. And here's this person, and they just come across as being mean. And they had this license that, oh, I got to be bold for Christ. I'm going to just do what I got to do. Paul wasn't that way. Jesus certainly wasn't that way, but Paul in his ministry wasn't. I mean, he, he was bold in proclaiming the gospel, and he was bold in living like Christ. As one who was indwelt by the Spirit of Christ, he had the character of Christ manifesting in his life. And one of those characteristics was gentleness. What does Paul say here? Verse 7, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her kids. Isn't that strange that Paul describes himself as a new mom? I and mean, that's what he does. Paul was a tough dude. I mean, he experienced some horrible things. He was beaten to two inches of his life several times, shipwrecks, all this other stuff. He was a tough guy, but he was never tough with these neighbors. In fact, he was so giving, so sacrificial, the best description he could come up with is like, I was like a, a new mom nursing her newborn baby. That's how I was with you. I mean, just think about those of us who know new moms. My wife is a new mom, and she shames me. She doesn't verbally shame me because she's sweet, but her actions of love shame me. It's like, you are, she is tough as nails in her gentleness with my kids. And you really do have to be tough as nails to be a gentle person. It is hard to be gentle and kind. It's very easy to be mean and snotty. So, she, so Paul is saying, I was gentle among you like a new mom where I gave stuff, I gave my life to you like a nursing mother. Isn't that amazing? Paul, Paul was, he was gentle. He was very, he was a lot of other things too. I mean, can you just imagine what our neighborhoods would be like if all of us mother hinned our neighbors? I mean, seriously. How amazing would that be if all of us checked in on our neighbors, regardless of what they believed or not, and checked in on them, cared for them, loved them, like a new mom with a baby boy or baby girl. Just think about it. 
A couple other things really quickly, then we'll hand it over. Paul was also holy and blameless among them. He says, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you. Clearly, Paul was not saying that he was a perfect person. We know that he wasn't. What that does mean is, is that he was God-honoring in his relationships. That was the most important thing for Paul. I mean, he always had the apple before the horse. He knew what he was supposed to do. He was always God-honoring, which enabled him to do well by other people, which is very interesting, right? Because that means that Paul saw people go from strangers to friends to neighbors. He had a successful ministry, not in spite of his faith, but because of it. Something to consider. He was also father-like. He encouraged them to believe. He encouraged non-believers to believe in the Lord Jesus. He also encouraged the church to walk and follow Christ faithfully. He labored and toiled among them. Now, what he's referring to there is that he didn't want to put a financial burden on them like your pastors do, but he, he, had, he was a tent maker. He was out there working among them, so they could never come back on him and say, you only did that for money, Paul. But there's just the practical side of that, too. He, he was engaged in the community. Their concerns became his concerns. He worked alongside them. He had shared experiences with them. He was just a member of the community living out the faith boldly and confidently because he was in Christ. There's all these things. All in all, he came to Thessalonica not to get but to give, even laying aside his very real authority in order to love those around him just as he has been loved. Now, the point is you and I are called to do the same. We're called to give our lives away. We're called to be fountains to those around us, blessing them, and nurturing them like moms. That's, that's what true Christian friendship would look like. I know a lot of us in here don't think we have a whole lot to give away, and it could be for a variety of things. You might think that you're not an interesting person. I don't know. Or you might think that your house is too small to entertain your neighbors. Or you might think that you're struggling your faith. It's not worth modeling. Why would you? The Bible tells you to quit believing that type of stuff. Because as a Christian, you have everything to give. You have Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. You have every single spiritual blessing in heaven. That's a reality. You know the pathway to peace. You know the roadway to righteousness. You know the, the highway to the blessed life. You're a fountain. It has nothing to do with our personalities. It has everything to do with our faith. So in faith, let's trust Christ and give our lives away as Paul did in this chapter. Again, how do we do that? Well, we're going to turn it over to the Joes and Lauren Maddox, just to see how they've tried to live this out in their life. Let's uh, welcome them together. All right, so we're going to start off this morning like we did last time with introductions, so you guys will have a little bit of a context of um, who the Joes are, and um, so I'll let you start, Ron. Um, my name is Rong Guo, and church called me Rong Zhou because I'm married to him, but actually <laughs> my name and last name never changed, but I will go with it. I grew up in China uh, in an atheist family. I came in the United States in 1999 because Shen found a job in St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Uh, we have been married for 29 years almost. This month actually is our anniversary, and we have an adult son in a very cute uh, granddaughter who <laughs> just turned one year old last week. And we also have a hosted daughter who is going to college this year. This is about me? Yeah, that's great. 
Uh, my name is Shenzhou, and uh, I grew up in China on a village. And um, from very young, I really hated the uh, physical farming work. Mm. Very repetitive to me, like, uh, so I started really hard to run away from it. And I succeeded, and uh, then I went to college, I went to graduate school in, uh, in China, Beijing, big city, and uh, received uh, a PhD degree in molecular biology. And then I came to St. Jude uh, to do uh, further training and working uh, here. And growing up uh, was a, a Buddhism background. Uh, mostly my parents, they uh, worshipped the Buddhas on occasional um, times. And we were not forced to worship, but I just watched that. And then came to, um, to the States. And after about a year, and uh, was introduced to this church of Friday Evening Fellowship and uh, learn, learned about Jesus Christ and then received Jesus. So that was the year uh, 2002. And I'm going to the, you know, I go to the International Fellowship and really in that fellowship um, grew a lot. Yeah. yeah, that's my background. Great, thank you. And Rong, as all of you know, um, our topic today is cultivating relationships and connecting with the people that God puts in our path. And as you have said, cultivating relationships is something that comes very naturally to you. It's part of your DNA. Um, and in fact, it's your desire to cultivate relationships that brought you to faith in the Lord Jesus. Will you share with us that story? Sure. I came to this country, and I was grown up in, in China as a majority, but God us. Uh, send me here, and uh, there I feel like outsiders. So I was searching for a relationship. Uh, a friend told me, if you want to find a good relationship, you probably need to go to church. So I've never been to church in my life. <laughs> so I begged her to take me to a fellowship. Uh, at that time in second, uh, they have a Chinese fellowship uh, weekly on Fridays. So I came, she took me here, and uh, our dear brother Fan just welcomed me. And uh, I feel so warmed. And at that time, uh, you know, uh, Anne and uh, Brian Langford was dating. They were there too. <laughs> uh, Anne was a medical student. And I finally find somebody who had the same similar background as I, did, uh, I do. And also C.C. Wiley, they were there. You know, these people didn't speak a word of Chinese. But they were there and helping us and set up a table, put flowers there. And uh, somebody invited me to the church. And I uh, participated or I came to Mother's Heart Bible study in, uh, in, in the church in the morning. And what I grown up, I was taught uh, religious people were weird. <laughs> <laughs> But then I found, wow, these regular people, pretty normal. <laughs> they are so passionate about studying a person whose name is Jesus Christ. So, yeah, and uh, a sister, yeah, I didn't know how to drive. So she took me to the Bible study. I then, you know, Jesus really, really used brother and sisters to draw me to find a real relationship in him. Mm. And uh, one night I was sitting there thinking about Romans says, when you are still sinners, 
God, Jesus died for you. So I could not help. Jesus draw me close to Him, and I decide to accept Him as my personal Savior and join the church. I was baptized in this church mm. in 2001. Mm. Praise God. Praise God. And Shang, although you do agree that cultivating relationships with others, particularly non-Christians, is very important, it's not something that comes as naturally to, as to you. You've admitted that it requires more intention for you to do that, but, um, but you are doing it. So what are some of the ways that the Lord is working on your heart in that area? Uh, uh, yes, I'm a more of a reasoning person. I have to do things. Uh, I have to have a really good reason. And after accepting Jesus, and um, uh, he really convinced me that uh, this uh, eternal life with God, uh, this eternal hope uh, is real. And so uh, the way to love a person, really the first uh, uh, most important thing is to share um, Jesus with the, person, uh, with the person because he's really the only way. There's no other way. So uh, because of my really natural introvert, I... I started with the existing relationships. What I did was, uh, I would be running, I would go back to my family. I have, uh, uh, back then, my mother still uh, living, and I have uh, three brothers, two sisters, totally six of us, and they were, uh, they had never heard of Jesus, so we brought Bibles, uh, we went there, we shared with them, and, uh, and then afterward, a few years ago, uh, we invited our um, my oldest brother and sister-in-law came over, stayed with us for three months, and we really uh, studied Bible, learned, shared together, shared life together, really, and uh, took them to New York City, Washington, D.C. to, to visit, and uh, uh, they um, received Christ while they were here. And then uh, we also invited Ron's uh, aunt and cousin on different occasions came over. We brought them to church. We shared the Bible with them, although they have not uh, believed yet, but uh, that's, those are the things. And uh, then, um, because of uh, Ron's relationship, so I often get connected people through Ron. And <laughs> Ron at a workplace uh, 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 know this uh, one person, uh, 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 Caucasian, <laughs> a white Christian, and that person invited Ron to a uh, Friday evening, another church, a Chinese fellowship. And Ron uh, asked me to go, and we uh, went. And then um, we, kind of we started going on Friday evenings. And then quickly after a while, I was asked to, if possible, I can teach their youth group, a newly formed youth group. The reason was that... Uh, um, uh, the, the parents, they all speak Mandarin mostly. They are Bible language or learned in Mandarin. But the youth group, they are all born, grew up here, and only pretty much only speak English. And they need the English-speaking person to actually can know the Bible language in English to teach Bible. And they kind of uh, knew that we kind of, we, we kind of learned <laughs> all the Bible knowledge in English, actually. So God really used that to teach this youth, youth group, and we uh, we said yes, and uh, that yes meant uh, actually 10 years of Friday evenings. I was there and uh, to, to teach youth group initially with a few others. And uh, we teach the Bible books, so we had activities. And uh, the recent two or three years, I, I really focused on teaching the catechism. 
are just VR, and they all actually like it. So, yeah. Both of y'all have also really sought to cultivate relationships in your workplace, um, to really to give you the opportunity for evangelism within those relationships. Wrong. I'll let you start. Can you share just one or two practical ways that you do that? Okay, first, uh, I think at workplace, uh, different. But nowadays, uh, I work in a, a corporate uh, environment, so there's a lot of rules. So uh, I uh, still remembered, uh, I think in our, one of our World Mission Conference, uh, we're told we are sent, we're sent to the world. So instead of sent to the mission field overseas, I was sent by this church to my workplace. That is, I really truly believe that is God's calling me to do so. So before I enter, before pandemic, when I, before I enter that building, I prayed a lot. When I step into that building, that was my mission field. But now it's a Zoom. So before I open my computer, <laughs> I prayed a lot. <laughs> this is my workplace, my mission field. So that is how I feel prayer before I do anything. And, uh, of course, practically, I'm a very people person. So uh, before I go to my work, the first thing I do is I walking through my floor. And I, if anybody came at that time, I would say hi to him or her. And if it's a new employee is come, I always go to that person's cube and say hi. So that's is the way I know people. And uh, another thing is I will pray for them because I talk to them. Uh, I usually know what to pray for. And the, the, God really answered a lot of my prayers. And the people will come to me and ask me to advise on something. And uh, I seems like I know a lot of people in the workplace, even in this Zoom time. <laughs> I knew people even uh, overseas and out of uh, uh, towns. So many opportunities. So this is, uh, I will say, know them and let them to know you. I think I'm pretty open uh, to share my personal stories but it's not my story. It's his story to mm. people. So yeah. this is... Thank you. Shane, what about you? Some practical ways in the workplace. Uh, the workplace, so, you know, um, I really uh, love doing science. I'm a researcher. I have been uh, really good at it, actually. Uh, achieved quite a bit. Huh? Uh, so uh, uh, years I worked on this uh, gene therapy for um, bubble boy disease. It was succeeded, and uh, that's a cure. Now that kind of disease, a particular kind, and now is uh, with the therapy is a cure. It uh, has been pretty big, but my tendency is really focus on the task and often forget about the people actually are doing the work. So with this uh, really uh, new life in Christ, uh, that I have to be very really intentional to uh, pay attention to uh, people who actually um, does the work and uh, to care about them and to intentionally to learn about their, their lives and to, uh, uh, to think, um, care about their career and uh, to uh, all, all these things. And uh, um, uh, also invite them to, um, 
to our home um, for dinner and also uh, introduce them to other churches if they, because of language barriers, things, uh, usually if Chinese, uh, we would introduce them to the Chinese churches we know. Uh, if the English is uh, um, pretty good and uh, has interest, uh, we would invite them to this church, to, to, to that. And uh, um, let me see what else. <laughs> I think that's about it. Yeah. yeah, great. Thank you. As we conclude, what's one piece of advice from each of you, or more than one if you've got more than one, um, about how we might all make progress in cultivating relationships with those that, that God puts in our path? I'll start, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'll say one piece of advice, advice in, in three aspects. Uh, so this maybe uh, sounds uh, counterintuitive in a way, but that's how I just really actually feel it's important. So number one is actually worship, to, to come to worship Sundays and to, to sing together, to, to hear the prayers, pray together under the leadership, leading of pastors and confessions, sins together, share the cup, the bread together, and hear the authoritative preaching of the word together. You hear this togetherness really in one room, actually. It's, to me, it's extremely important. And then we send out to the world together to, to do the mission. So the, uh, the second, really, second aspect of it, uh, of it is, the, to me, is the day, daily Bible, Bible reading and, uh, as a habit. And also, if possible, join a Bible study group. And for me, I have been many years joining the uh, Amen Bible Study, which happens Thursday morning in, in this room, very room. And uh, also, there are other, uh, other groups. Our church has a women's Bible study group also. And uh, Ron has been heavily involved in the, uh, um, uh, as also many members in this church, in the Bible study fellowship, teaching children's leader. Uh, also, the really many members in this church encouraged us so much uh, by their walk with the uh, with the neighbor, so, and uh, that's the second part. Uh, really, the third part uh, is uh, we have um, emphasized this to pray, to um, especially uh, before entering the workplace. Uh, so we'll pray both for Christians, uh, to, to God, to really strengthen them, to 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 walk with them, and uh, also non-Christians to pray for my day to be very intentional uh, about the day. It's because uh, it's. Uh, really unnatural to me. Mm, thank you. For me, I will say, don't be discouraged. So uh, I am a pretty result-focused person, so easily to be discouraged by, I don't see any change in this person, or don't see any change in this thing. But God is great, and he has his timing. And I experienced that uh, I was leading a, a Bible study. Uh, one of uh, the friend came just once and then left. But after so many years, she moved out of town. One day, I just uh, received a message from her and telling me, Ron, I am going to be baptized tomorrow. Mm. I, uh, the first person I would like to tell is you because you planted that seed in my heart mm. so many years ago. I think that was probably 10 years ago, or more than that, that I 
didn't even think that she would. At that time, I was very discouraged. I said, "Whoa, she just is really hopeless." But <laughs> mm -hmm. hope is in God. So uh, yeah, many things like this happen, but we just work and pray and walk with God daily, and she, He will do His job for sure. That's right. Can I add one thing? Absolutely. So, so I just want to re really share one thing. This may be relevant. So it's uh, our walk with, uh, um, uh, how, how I really want to share how people in this church walked with us in, in our Christian growth. Uh, we were in, in that Sunday class, Ron mentioned uh, Farm, Brian, um, and Langford, uh, Sis and Wally. We have met, uh, actually in that class, uh, many others uh, walked with us. And Jim Ruth Ramirez uh, did a, a discipleship study on Friday evenings with us and uh, taught us really how to pray, how to read the Bible, and uh, um, so, so, so that. And then ongoing, really, uh, I want to mention Mike Gay Rhodes in our lives really modeled a Christ, uh, Christian walk with us. We can see uh, tangibly. Uh, what are Christians like? We also see many brothers and sisters not in our class, and the, the way that they, they love their families, especially the people, families with, uh, with special needs. They may not say anything to me, I just saw them, and that itself mm. is a great ministry to my heart to see how they model this Christian walk uh, in this, uh, as how difficult that is, but the faithful, uh, faithful walk. That's a good word. Thank you. Barton, will you come pray for us? Let's pray for the Joes together. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for the Joes, for Shang and Rong and the friends they are to so many. I'm so grateful that many years ago in your sovereign grace you brought them to Memphis, that you brought them to this church, that ultimately you brought them into your family, and that you gave them your spirit so that today even they're encouraging all of us, showing us the humble way in which they follow you and love others as you have loved them. Uh, Lord, would you cause all of us to believe more deeply in the gospel of grace and would you shock us with how loving you are and in response may we, may we love our neighbors as, as the Joes have. Uh, we love you, Father. We pray that you go before them and all of us and all that we do for our good and your glory. We pray in this in Christ's name. Amen.